Hey Sids, welcome back to Girl Goodnight. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into this show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcast at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. To celebrate pride, we will be featuring works from a Black LGBTQIA author for the month of June. Tonight, we will be reading The Doom of the Mischief Maker, written by James Baldwin, published in 1914. James Arthur Baldwin was born on August 2, 1924, in Harlem. He was a writer and activist whose work influenced popular culture and future generations of writers and artists. Two notable works include Remember This House, which was adapted into the Academy Award-winning documentary I Am Not Your Negro, and If Beale Street Could Talk, which was adapted into an Academy Award-winning film. Many of his works explored topics such as race, sexuality, and civil rights, and feature gay and bisexual African-American protagonists. In his younger years, he followed in the footsteps of his stepfather and became a junior minister. In his adolescence, he left the church and came to the realization that he was gay. At age 24, he left the United States and moved to Paris, where he would spend the majority of his life. On December 1st, 1987, Baldwin died in France. His body is now buried in New York City. He leaves behind a long legacy of great accomplishment. His work has been implemented into college curriculums and the James Baldwin Literary Society was created in his honor in 1987. He was an honoree in the Rainbow Honor Walk celebrating members of the LGBTQ community who have made significant contributions in their fields in 2014 and in 2019, he became one of 50 American pioneers, trailblazers, and heroes inducted on the National LGBTQ Wall of Honor within the Stonewall National Monument at Stonewall Inn in New York City. The Doom of the Mischief Maker is an excerpt from the collection of stories entitled Hero Tales. As the title suggests, the collection includes stories of various gods and heroes from Greek mythology, ancient northern legends, and knighthood and chivalry. This collection is comprised of stories from Baldwin's other works such as Story of the Golden Age, The Story of Siegfried, and the story of Roland, which were arranged to be easier presented in schools. These stories were chosen to stand alone with, quote, only a slender thread with the main narrative. At a banquet in the city of Asgard, Loki, also known as the Mischief Maker, set out to do as his name suggests. 
After killing a man and causing commotion and chaos, his life was spared in exchange for his banishment from the city. Loki agrees and spends many years in hiding. As his name implies, he concocts a new plan to regain his place in Asgard, only to get stopped by Thor and his crew and sentenced to a life of torture and pain. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. The Doom of the Mischief Maker You have heard of the feast that old Agar once made for the Asa folk in his gold-lit dwelling in the deep sea and how the feast was hindered through the loss of his great brewing kettle until Thor had obtained a still larger vessel from Hymer the Giant. It is very likely that the thief who stole King Agar's kettle was none other than Loki the Mischief Maker. But, if this was so, he was not long unpunished for his meanness. There was great joy in the Ocean King's Hall when at last the banquet was ready and the foaming mead began to pass itself around to the guests. But Thor, who had done so much to help matters along, could not stay to the merrymaking, for he had heard that the storm giants were marshalling their forces for a raid upon some unguarded corner of the midworld. And so, grasping his hammer, he bade his kind host goodbye and leaped into his iron car. Business always before pleasure, he cried as he hastened away at a wonderful rate through the air. In old Agar's hall, glad music resounded on every side, and the gleeful waves danced merrily as the Asa folks sat around the festival board and partook of the Ocean King's good fare. Agar's two thralls, the faithful Funfing and the trusty Elder, waited upon the guests and carefully supplied their wants. Never in all the world had two more thoughtful servants been seen, and everyone spoke in praise of their quickness and their skill and their ready obedience. Then Loki, unable to keep his hands from mischief, waxed very angry because everyone seemed happy and free from trouble and no one noticed or cared for him. So, while good fun thing was serving him to meet, he struck the faithful thrall with a carving knife and killed him. Then arose a great uproar in the Ocean King's feast hall. The Asa folk rose up from the table and drove the mischief maker out from among them. And in their wrath, they chased him across the waters and forced him to hide in the thick greenwood. After this, they went back to Agar's hall and sat down again to the feast. But they had scarcely begun to eat when Loki came quietly out of his hiding place and stole slyly around to Agar's kitchen where he found Elder, the other thrall, greeting sadly because of his brother's death. I hear a great chattering and clattering over there in the feast hall, said Loki. The greedy, silly Asa folk seem to be very busy indeed, both with their teeth and their tongues. Tell me now, good elder, what they talk about while they sit over their meat. 
They talk of noble deeds, answered Elder. They speak of gallant heroes and brave men and fair women and strong hearts and willing hands and gentle manners and kind friends. And for all these they have words of praise and songs of beauty, but none of them speak well of Loki, the thief and the vile traitor. Ah, said Loki wrathfully, twisting himself into a dozen different shapes. No one could ask so great a kindness from such folk. I must go into the feast hall and take a look at this fine company and listen to their noisy merrymaking. I have a fine scolding laid up for those good fellows, and unless they're careful with their tongues, they will find many hard words mixed with their meal. Then he went boldly into the great hall and stood up before the wonder-stricken guests at the table. When the Asa folks saw who it was that had darkened the doorway and was now in their midst, a painful silence fell upon them, and all their merriment was at an end. And Loki stretched himself up to his full height and said to them, Hungry and thirsty came I to Acker's gold-lit hall. Long and rough was the road I trod, and wearisome was the way. Will no one bid me welcome? Will no one give me a seat at the feast? Will none offer me a drink of the precious mead? Why are you all so dumb? Why so sulky and stiff-necked when your best friend stands before you? Give me a seat among you. Yes, one of the high seats. Or else, drive me from your hall. In either case, the world will never forget me. I am Loki. Then, one among the Asa folks spoke up and said, Let him sit with us. He is mad. And when he slew Funfang, he was not in his right mind. He is not answerable for his rash act. But Bragi the wise, who sat on the innermost seat, arose and said, Nay, we will not give him a seat among us. Nevermore shall he feast or sup with us or share our good fellowship. Thieves and murderers we know, and we will shun them. This speech enraged Loki all the more, and he spared not vile words, but heaped abuse without stint upon all the folk before him. By main force, he seized hold of the silent Vidar who had come from the forest solitudes to be present at the feast and dragged him away from the table and seated himself in his place. Then, as he quaffed the foaming mead, he flung out taunts and jeers and hard words to all who sat around but chiefly to Bragi the wise and Sif the beautiful wife of Thor. Suddenly, a great tumult was heard outside. The mountains shook and trembled. The bottom of the sea seemed moved, and the waves, affrighted and angry, rushed hither and thither in confusion. All the guests looked up in eager expectation, and some of them fled in alarm from the hall. Then the mighty Thor strode in at the door and up to the table, swinging his hammer 
and casting wrathful glances at the mischief maker. Loki trembled. He dropped his goblet and sat down upon his knees before the terrible Asa. I yield me, he cried. Spare my life, I pray you, and I will be your thrall forever. I want no such thrall, answered Thor, and I spare your life on one condition only, that you'll go at once from hence and never more presume to come into the company of Asa folk. I promise all that you ask, said Loki, trembling more than ever. Let me go. Thor stepped aside and the frightened culprit fled from the hall and was soon out of sight. The feast was broken up. The Asa bade Agar a kind farewell and favoring the winds wafted them swiftly home to Asgard. Loki fled to the dark mountain gorges of Mistland and sought for a while to hide himself from the sight of both gods and men. In a deep ravine by the side of a roaring torrent, he built himself a house of iron and stone and placed a door on each of its four sides so that he could see whatever passed around him. There, for many winters, he lived in a lonely solitude planning with himself how he might baffle his enemies and regain his old place in Asgard. Now and then, he slipped slyly away from his hiding place and wrought much mischief for a time among the abodes of men. But when Thor heard of his evil doings and sought to catch him and punish him for his evil deeds, he was nowhere to be found. At last, the Asafolk determined that if he could ever be captured, the safety of the world required that he should be bound hand and foot and kept forever in prison. Loki often amused himself in his mountain home by taking upon him his favorite form of a salmon and lying listlessly beneath the waters of the great Vanadar cataract, which fell from the shelving rocks a thousand feet above him. One day, while thus lying, he bethought himself of former days, when he walked with the glad young earth in company with great Odin. And among other things, he remembered how he had once borrowed the magic net of Ron, the Ocean Queen, and had caught with it the dwarf and Darby, disguised as he himself now was, in the slippery form of a salmon. I will make me such a net, he cried. I will make it strong and good, and I too will fish for men. So he took again his proper shape and went back to his cheerless home in the ravine. There he gathered flax and wool and long hemp and spun yarn and strong cords, and he wove them into meshes after the pattern of Queen Ron's magic net for men had not, at that time, learned how to make or use nets for fishing. And the first fisherman who caught fish in that way is said to have taken Loki's net as a model. Odin sat on the morrow in his high hall at Asgard and looked out over all the world, even the uttermost corners. With his sharp eye, he saw what menfolk everywhere were doing. 
when his gaze rested upon the dark line which marked the mountain land of the mist country, he started up in quick surprise and cried out, Who is that who sits by the Fanatter Falls and ties strong cords together? But none of those who stood around could tell, for their eyes were not strong enough and clear enough to see so far. Bring Heimdall, then cried Odin. Now, Heimdall the White dwells among the blue mountains where the rainbow spans the space betwixt heaven and earth. He is the son of Odin, golden tooth, pure face, and clean-hearted, and he ever keeps watch and ward over the midworld and the homes of frail menfolk, lest the giant shall break in and destroy and slay. He rides upon a shining steed named Goldtop, and he holds his hand in a horn with which, in the last twilight, he shall summon the world to battle with the sons of Loki. This watchful guardian of the midworld is wakeful as the birds, and his hearing is so keen that no sound on earth escapes him, not even that of the rippling waves upon the seashore nor of the quiet sprouting of the grass in the meadows, nor even the growth of the soft wool on the backs of sheep. His eyesight, too, is wondrous clear and sharp, for he can see by night as well as by day, and the smallest thing, although a hundred leagues away, cannot be hidden from him. To Heimdall then, the heralds hastened, bearing the words which Odin had spoken, and the watchful warrior of the midworld came at once to the call of Allfather. Turn your eyes to the somber mountains that guard the shadowy mistland from the sea, said Odin. Now, look far down into the rocky gorge in which the Fanatar cataract pours and tell me what you see. Heimdall did as he was bidden. I see a shape, said he, sitting by the torrent's side. It is Loki's shape, and he seems strangely busy with strong strings and cords. Call all of our folk together, commanded Odin. The wily mischief maker plots our hurt. He must be driven from his hiding place and put where he can do no further harm. Great stir was there in Asgard. Everyone hastened to answer Odin's call and to join in the quest for the mischief maker. Thor came on foot with his hammer tightly grasped in his hands and lightning flashing from beneath his red brows. Tyre the one-handed came with his sword, then followed Bragi the wise with his harp and his sage counsels, then Hermit the nimble with his quick wit and ready hands. And lastly, a great company of elves with wood spirits and trolls. Then, a whirlwind caught them up in its swirling arms and carried them through the air, over the hilltops and the countryside, and the meadows and the mountains, and set them down in the gorge of the Fanatar Force. But Loki was not caught napping. His wakeful ears had heard the tumult in the air, and he guessed who it was that was coming. He threw the net which he had just finished into the fire and jumped quickly into the swift torrent, 
where, changing himself into a salmon, he lay hidden beneath the foaming water. When the eager Asa folk reached Loki's dwelling, they found that he whom they sought had fled, and although they searched high and low among the rocks and the caves and the snowy crags, they could see no signs of the cunning fugitive. Then they went back to his house again to consult what they do next. And while standing by the hearth, Quasar, a sharp-sided elf, whose eyes were quicker than the sunbeam, saw the white ashes of the burned net lying undisturbed in the still hot embers, the woven meshes unbroken and whole. See what the cunning fellow has been making, cried the elf. It must have been a trap for catching fish. Or rather catching men, said Bragai, for it is strangely like the sea queen's net. In that case, said Hermit the Nimble, he has made a trap for himself, for no doubt he has changed himself, as is his wont to a slippery salmon and lies at this moment hidden beneath the Fanatter torrent. Here are plenty of cores of flax and hemp and wool with which he intended to make other nets. Let us take them and weave one like the pattern which lies there in the embers, and then, if I mistake not, we shall catch the too cunning fellow. All saw the wisdom of these wise words and set quickly to work. In a short time, they had made a net strong and large and full of fine meshes, like the model among the coals. Then they threw it into the roaring stream, Thor holding to one end and all the other folk pulling it to the other. With great toil, they dragged it forward against the current, even to the foot of the waterfall. But the cunning Loki crept close down between two sharp stones and lay there quietly while the net passed harmlessly over him. Let us try again, cried Thor. I'm sure that something besides dead rocks lies at the bottom of the stream. So they hung heavy weights to the net and began to drag it again, this time going downstream. Loki looked out from his hiding place and saw that he would not be able to escape now by lying between the rocks and that his only chance for safety was either to leap over the net and hide himself behind the rushing cataract itself or to swim with the current out to the sea. But the way to the sea was long and there were many shallow places and Loki had doubts as to how old Agar would receive him in his kingdom. He feared greatly to undertake so dangerous and uncertain a course. So, turning upon his foes and calling up all his strength, he made a tremendous leap high into the air and clean over the net. But Thor was too quick for him. As he fell toward the water, the thunderer quickly threw out his hand and caught the slippery salmon, holding him firmly by the tail. When Loki found that he was surely caught and could not by any means escape, he took again his proper shape. Fiercely did he struggle with mighty Thor, 
and bitter were the curses which he poured down upon his enemies. But he could not get free. Into the deep, dark cavern beneath the smoking mountains where daylight never comes, nor the warmth of the sun, nor the sound of nature's music, the fallen mischief maker was carried. The Asas bound him firmly to the sharp rocks with his face turned upwards toward the dripping roof, for they said that never more until the last dread twilight should he be free to vex the world with his wickedness. Skade, the giant daughter of old winter, took a hideous snake and hung it up above Loki so that its venom would drop into his upturned face. But Sijin, the loving wife of the suffering wretch, left her home in the pleasant halls of Asgard and came to his horrible prison to soothe and comfort him. And evermore, she holds a basin above his head and catches in it the poisonous drops as they fall. When the basin is filled, she turns to empty it in the tar black river that flows through that home of horrors. The terrible venom falls upon his unprotected face and Loki writhes and shrieks in fearful agony until the earth around him shakes and trembles and the mountains spit forth fire and fumes of sulfur smoke. And there the mischief maker, the spirit of evil, shall lie in torment until the last great day in the dread twilight of all midworld things. Are you still up? Girl, good night. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for 4 dollars each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.